You're listening to Wiley Connected, a series of podcasts on tech, law, and policy. Welcome back to Satellites and 5G, where Maddie Lawton back from Wiley, Jennifer Manner of EchoStar, and Suzanne Malloy from SES continue their discussion about the role of satellites in 5G networks, broadband connectivity, and digital inclusion. My name is Maddie Lotenbach, and I'm an associate at Wiley in the firm's telecom, media, and technology practice. Wiley's a proud member of GVF, which brings together organizations from around the world engaged in the development and delivery of satellite technologies and solutions for consumers and commercial and government organizations worldwide. I'm pleased to be joined today by two fellow GVF members, Jennifer Manner and Suzanne Malloy. So the International Telecommunication Union, or ITU, the UN Specialized Agency for Information and Communication Technologies, held a World Radio Communication Conference in Charm el-Sheikh, Egypt. So for those who may not be familiar, what is the World Radio Communication Conference, or WRC, and why does it matter? The World Radio Communication Conference is a treaty-based conference under the guise of the International Telecommunications Union, which is a UN body. And what it does is every um, four years or so, the governments of the world get together to determine how spectrum is going to be utilized and how to really allow and enable new uses, making sure there's sufficient spectrum for certain uses and so forth. So we, it sounds like a long time. We sit around for a month. And at the end of the conference, we, we've always successfully reached consensus and have a treaty, but it's a consensus-based organization. Before the WRC, there's four years of study. Um, the agenda is set at the previous WRC, so we know what issues are going to be studied. And there's vast amounts of technical analysis done by the members of the ITU, the governments, and the private sector and non-governmental participants who all, all work within it. And our goal is ensure that there's adequate spectrum to meet the needs of the world for the services they want to do. So it's, it's a very important body. I think it's probably one of the more important bodies that most people have never heard of on things that they rely on every day, whether it's, you know, television, cell phones, the internet, paying for gas, using, you know, satellite capacity to, to bring data, uh, you know, so you can cre- process credit cards. I mean, there's just a huge amount that we rely on Wi-Fi every day that's impacted by this conference every four years. And the, this particular radio conference um, is particularly important um, for, for satellite, has been particularly important for satellite because of the focus on many regulatory issues in having to do with satellites, how new, for example, how non-geostationary satellites in new bands or, or in based on the number of new filings, non-geostationary satellites that have, that have been filed at the ITU and are the focus of the decisions that, that, are, that were made at WRC-19 and that will be made at WRC-2023. For satellites, the work of the radio conferences and of the ITU are particularly important because we're by nature a regional and global industry and technology. So what the work of the International Telecommunications Union does for the satellite industry is to ensure a globally harmonized environment so that the services that we provide and the spectrum that we use, that we rely on to provide our services, is harmonized globally in a way that keeps our costs low because wherever we are in a given region, we're using, we can count on using the same spectrum. It, it 
basically makes our services possible because we, by nature, cover entire regions at a time. The new non-geostationary constellations and, and ones that are currently operational, like the SES medium Earth orbit constellation, are already operating at, at a global scale and very much depend on the availability of the same spectrum globally to make its constellation efficient and cost-effective. The ability to deploy terminals, to then access those terminals in a single frequency band that is with enough spectrum to deliver the kinds of uh, high bandwidth and, in our case, low latency um, services globally are really key to both an efficient network and efficient use of the spectrum and to provide uh, these services cost effectively. So the work of this study is really important for the satellite industry. With the 2019 World Radio Communication Conference, or WARC-19, ending, what were the most important outcomes in terms of increasing broadband connectivity using satellites? Sure. One of the big developments supporting the expansion of broadband connectivity were the agenda items, what was the agenda item devoted toward mobility? So in 2015, we had the first adoption of a framework to deliver services to Earth stations in motion via geostationary satellites. That was expanded to a, a broader swath of frequencies in the adoption of the decision at WRC-19 on Earth stations in motion to communications to Earth stations in motion via geostationary satellites, GSOE things. And that work continues, expanding broadband connectivity to planes, to ships. Um, and this is um, not just to folks who are on cruise ships accessing the kind of connectivity that they would be able to access at home, you know, similar speeds, costs that they would see um, just as they would use in a, in a hotel, but also to commercial shipping. The demand for, for connectivity that you, you get at home and that we're used to in our offices is extending globally. There's, there's, there's no one who now is accepting being off the grid so that these decisions that, will, that we're involved in studies now for the next four years that will include um, these new non-geostationary satellite systems represent the ability to extend what we now consider essential communications for business or leisure and anywhere that it's, it's needed on a mobile platform. So in terms of broadband connectivity, one of the critical items was making available additional spectrum for satellites. It's not limited to broadband, but it will certainly be used to support 5G and broadband. So that was a very big item. The other was in the bands that are shared with 5G terrestrial that were determined to be shared. The recognition that satellite is operating there as well and may need protection was critical. Those are bands that we're already um, planning and people are deploying networks in to provide 5G. So I'd say those two are very critical. I'd also say something really exciting that happened. It's really this burgeoning markets for non-geostationary satellites, especially for the LEOs um, that are these, some of them are mega constellations, some of them are smaller, but these constellations of satellites, you know, SpaceX has proposed 
upwards of 48,000 satellites. Other folks have 3,000. You can choose the number. But the recognition that you need to look at a new regulatory structure to ensure the spectrum's used efficiently. And the WRC spent a fair amount of time working on that um, as well, and really to enable these systems to go out and to make sure there's sufficient spectrum available was an exciting part of the conference as well. And I think you'll see increased access to connectivity with these systems as they start to deploy in the next couple of years. And at a high level, what does this new NGSO regulatory structure look like? Essentially, it's a milestone approach. There's always been a certain number of years which you have to, what we call, bring into use the spectrum for the satellites. But now there's actually a requirement that a certain number of of the constellations proposed satellites or a certain percentage of their satellites are launched at specific times. And if they fail to do that, their their constellation size isn't allowed um, to be as big as it was proposed. And and the idea being that you want to make sure the spectrum is used as efficiently as possible, so you don't want a system that's not really going forward to be able to hold on spectrum to the detriment of other operators. So it really is a major change in how the ITU has managed um, satellite spectrum for non-GEOs, I'd say. The result of, of setting out this kind of regulation is that we know that going into putting up all of these non-GEO uh, constellations, that we're, we're going to have now a clarified and predictable regulatory environment for those operations. So the kinds of services that we expect them to provide, whether it's um, connecting a post on Instagram or transmitting an x-ray from a rural hospital to doctors miles away, um, all the things that they, that these constellations promise, the ability to do so with a very clearly defined regulatory framework make sure that they can do so at in a, in a very cost-effective manner because there isn't, we've taken away a certain amount of uncertainty by giving them a very well-defined framework for operation. So the WARC-19 set an agenda for the next World Radio Communication Conference in four years, WARC-23. What do we see for the future on broadband connectivity? I'm really excited to see additional spectrum being considered for satellites. That's certainly something that we need as 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 all of us develop our satellite systems more and more to meet the demands of users. So that's important. Also, the regulatory regime for ESOMs for non-geostationary satellite operators is critically important. The fact that there's so much mobility demands right now and the geos are providing that largely today, but with with constellations coming on board and giving that flexibility now to non-geos will just benefit users, whether they're on ships, planes, trains, or whatever. So it's certainly a very exciting part of the agenda. Do we expect to see more spectrum for fixed satellite and mobile satellite services? We do. Um, in 20, um, over, in a, in a, phased approach. The 2023 agenda is focused on mobile and the 2023 has both mobile and fixed. So I think we're very well positioned to be in a place to make sure there's adequate spectrum for both services moving forward. And then mentioning new services, I understand there's going to be a lot of new development on inter-satellite links or ISL. Could you tell me a little bit more about that? Yeah, this is a really exciting area with GSOs and NGSOs both being up in orbit, there's an ability 
to exchange traffic between GSOs and NGSOs um, to make a more efficient use of ground infrastructure. So the idea is you can have an inter-satellite link between the non-geo and the geo, and then bring that the traffic down to a, a gateway or a station, which is interconnected with the public internet using one of those systems. Um, the NGSOs are gonna require probably more gateways so you can get some efficient efficiency by using the geo and linking your traffic to the geo and having the geo bring it down to these large gateways and maybe you don't need as much infrastructure for the non-geo, but I'm sure there's gonna be other ways you can use this as well, but it's certainly something that hasn't been used as efficiently and there's an important agenda item on that focused on the KA band, the 28 gigahertz band, which is really the workhorse band today for broadband satellites. So I think this is really important. The one thing we have to keep in mind though is the KA band because it's so important today for satellite, we need to ensure, and this is one of the things that will be looked at in this agenda item is that it doesn't interfere with the, the services on the ground. We don't wanna create a, a world where we create this new way of exchanging traffic and carrying it more efficiently, but we cause any interference to the services that are reaching our users today. But I think this is going to be one of the really high profile issues for the conference in 2023. Suzanne, what will SES be keeping an eye on for WRC 23? So for WRC 2023, for SES, a big element will be focused on in GSO ESIMS. We've already got an operational, uh, the only operational broadband non-geostationary satellite system in our O3B MEO system, and we're uh, constructing, and we will have launched prior to WRC 2023, our next generation constellation O3B in power. And uh, we already are serving uh, a very significant mobility market in both commercial and passenger maritime ships. And for, for GSO ESIMS, we've also got underway a, a large group of customers that we serve who are serving airlines. So we just are expecting to grow and to diversify the mobility business that we have with this study cycle on non-geostationary ESIMs. That will mean service to more um, ships, service to ships um, that are commercial because we'll be able to go to um, small, to be able to dynamically adjust the amount of power that we put on your surface and we'll be, be able to dynamically adjust the power that we give, for example, to a, a large fishing fleet or a, a large oil platform or be able to go to smaller ships than we have been able to before based on the ability to dynamically allocate power and to dynamically allocate our service geographically. So that the, the kind of studying that we'll be doing, studies that will be conducted for non-geostationary usins will be really important for us to enhance our ability to meet those kinds of needs and the needs of, of other platforms. One platform that we used, we've already used MEO4, that will have an expanded ability to do will be disaster and emergency services. After Hurricane Michael, one of the things that you need to do after hurricanes is to survey the damage and understand where you do and do not have infrastructure, where you do and do not need sort of immediate attention for 
for first responders to attend to. After Hurricane Michael, based on aerial surveillance that was by which the data was connected via satellite backhaul on our MEO system, we were able to, in real time, get data back to first responders, get visuals back to first responders to be able to accelerate uh, the response to the aftermath of that hurricane. And so that ability that will, will simply be in, in expanded, augmented by the amount of capacity, increased capacity that we'll be able to apply to it. And those are the kinds of sort of accelerated service or expanded service you'll be able to see as many other non-geostationary systems um, deploy. So, and that's what we're hoping to, to see at the end of that cycle. Great. Well, thank you both. Is there anything else on the WRC you think we need to cover? Um, maybe I could just talk about something that's important for 2023, too. Absolutely. So, so um, one of the really important issues we see is the additional spectrum for MSS that's being considered at 2023. And um, as an MSS operator um, today for GEOs and, and having the right to operate in NGSO and, and making plans to do so, really getting access to the spectrum, especially for things like IoT, machine to machine, um, and bringing those services, which really require the ubiquity of the satellite system for so many is an area we're focused on. Um, but we do have one concern here I want to raise, and there was a movement when this agenda item was being discussed for the 2023 conference that you need to reserve this for a low power um, systems, um, basically IoT systems. And we actually don't agree with that. We think making the spectrum available for all types of services and not limiting the spectrum to a particular application would be the best. One of the things we worry about is when you start making those determinations um, as the technology is just becoming newer, you may be foreclosing the most innovative uses of the spectrum. So that's an area that I think is critically important to us and to several members of the MSS industry. Thank you both. Absolute pleasure talking with you today. Thank you for tuning in to the Wiley Connected podcast brought to you by the attorneys at Wiley. If you enjoyed this episode of Wiley Connected, we encourage you to subscribe, rate, and leave a review on iTunes and SoundCloud. For additional resources and materials, head over to WileyConnect.com. Thank you for listening. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Wiley Ryan LLP and its employees. The material contained in this podcast is not intended to be and is not considered to be legal advice. Transmission is not intended to create and receipt does not establish an attorney-client relationship.